0: We began a new series last Sunday called Arrival, and this series is all about celebrating the arrival of Jesus here on earth over 2,000 years ago, as well as his arrival when he comes back again. You see, it centers around a season many Christians around the world honor, which is known as the Advent season. And during Advent, we focus on hope, we focus on peace, we focus on love and joy, and how these four characteristics tie in to his arrival. And so last Sunday, Pastor Mike spoke about hope, and it was such a a great kickoff to this series that we're in right now. And so I'd encourage you, if you missed last Sunday's message, you can go back, listen to it, watch it on our website, or even on our Facebook page. So this morning, we talked about hope last week, but this morning, we're going to transition. We're going to talk about peace. Say peace. 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 Often when we hear the word peace, we think about what? The opposite of war, right? Because the opposite of war is peace. It's the absence of struggle or conflict. We hear the words, it's peacetime, right? Or maybe we even think about holding up the number two which represents peace in its own way. You know? Hey, peace, man. Let us let there be peace, right? Come on, peace, man, all right? Or maybe we even think about the Miss America pageant. Now you're like, why would you even think about that? Well, when one of the contestants is asked the question, hey, if you had three wishes, what would they be? And often, one of the most often quoted wishes is what? World peace. Now, We would all love to see peace in our world, wouldn't we? We would all love to see it, but we know that is not possible as long as sin still exists in our world. And so you all know we're living in some real crazy times right now. We're living in some real unpeaceful times right now. It seems every day that there is something new where we ask ourselves, why did this happen? How could someone hurt those people like that? Or even worse, could this happen to me or someone in my family? You see, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty in our world right now. There's a lot of uncertainty, but can I provide some certainty this morning? Can I give you some good news today? What is happening in our world is not what God intended. And in fact, when God created the world, he had other plans for us. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. I want to take you on a little journey today, what I'm calling a peace journey. And so let's go back to the beginning. We're going to go back to the beginning of the Bible where it all began when peace arrived on the scene. And you see, number one, it began with the desire, the desire. Genesis chapter one, verses one through two says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of God, I love this, the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Let me say that again. The spirit of God was hovering. He was moving over the surface of the waters. Of the waters. And it's this act of hovering that shows that the Spirit was already nurturing us. He was already caring for us from the very beginning. You see, it's like when a mother hovers over her offspring, like when that mama bird hovers over her baby birds. She's gonna make sure that nothing is going to bring harm to her babies. And the Spirit, in this very essence, is doing that same thing. The Spirit was hovering because the Spirit was protecting the world. You see, God was already, he was already bringing his peace in order to create something out of nothing. And so in what seemed like chaos, chaos, the earth was formless. The earth was empty. Darkness covered everything. In what seemed like chaos, God brought order. He brought completeness. He brought peace. And so God created a peaceful world. Genesis chapter one, verse 31, it says, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. You see, everything he created, God created it for his good, which meant it was good and it was peaceful. Light was good, the sky was good, land was good, the seas were good, every plant and tree that grew from the ground was good. The sun, the moon, the stars that shine in the sky were good, the fish that swim in the sea and the birds that fly in the air were good. Every living animal and its offspring were good. You see, back then, in that peaceful world, a lion could lay down with a lamb at the fear of not being destroyed. A a coyote and a mouse could get along. They could be friends. It was a peaceful world exactly the way God intended it. And then I love this. God said, you know what? This is all great, but there's something else that this peaceful world needs, It needs someone to watch over it. It needs someone to protect it. And it needs someone that can take care of the fish, the birds, and the animals that I have created. So God decided to make his greatest creation. And you know who that was? Us. He made us. He created man, and it was good. And not only was it good, but he, God did something that he didn't do with any of his other creation. You see, God created man to be complete. He created man to be complete. Let's go to Genesis 1.27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them did you catch that he created us in his image and when i say god's image when i say his image it's not just just god alone but it's god the father jesus his son and the holy spirit we are made in the very image of the trinity we are made in the image of god and this is exactly the way he wanted it We were created to be complete. We were created to be whole. We were created to be perfection, lacking in nothing the very essence of his peace. So not only were we complete, but get this, he blessed us abundantly and provided everything that we would ever need. Verses 28 through 29 of chapter 1 continue. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that is what happened. You see, when God spoke something into existence, it happened. You see, God created a peaceful world. And he created peaceful men and women to inhabit it. And just like verse 31 said again, it was very good. You see, it was God's desire that peace exist from the very beginning. But as many of us know, peace did not last long. Because somewhere along the way, man was persuaded that he needed more than what God desired for him. He decided that he needed more than what God was offering him, what he was providing him. And so that led to the destruction. Number two, the destruction. As we fast forward to Genesis chapter three, we see the serpent persuading the woman in the garden to eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the woman knew that she was not supposed to eat from it. I mean, she straight up told that serpent that they were not allowed to eat from it or even touch that tree. Because if they did, they would surely die. So she knew. She knew. So even not just she knew, but he knew. Man and woman both knew that they were not supposed to do this. But that crafty serpent, that old crafty serpent, he persuaded them that God was lying to them. And not only was he lying to them, but he was holding back from them. You see, the the peaceful world that he created for them was not enough anymore. And the serpent had convinced them that if they ate the fruit, they would not die, but even greater, they would be like God. Now, now, Isn't it just like the devil to play with our pride? Isn't it just like him to play with our pride? Because it's what he knows best. It's what got him kicked out of heaven, and it's what's going to be his ultimate downfall. You see, it's the serpent's pride, get this, that used man's pride to convince them to eat the fruit. The serpent's pride used man's pride to convince them that it was okay to eat the fruit, And because they were convinced, they were convinced in their heart that this was okay, they did it. And so they ate the fruit, and the peaceful world that God desired for them was destroyed. Now, that sounds like a very harsh word, but that's exactly what happened. And it was all because of their pride, because they wanted to be just like God. Or so that's what they were told when they ate the fruit. And so because of man's pride, two things happened. The first is pride created an absence of peace. For the first time ever, man experienced what it was like to be separated from God the Father. There was an absence of his peace. You see, the the lamb would no longer be able to lay down with the lion. The coyote and the rabbit that were friends were now enemies. Sin had entered the world because man, again, who was created in God's very image, was convinced that they needed to be just like him. You see, their their eyes were now open to the reality of this absence of peace. And so because of this absence and the shame they now felt, they hid. Let's pick it back up in Genesis 3.8. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. You see, their their pride and their shame caused them to hide. From God, And it was during this hiding, during their hiding, that they experienced firsthand what it was like to be absent from the Father. To be absent from his very presence. And so when God called out, where are you? It wasn't because he didn't know where they were. I mean, God knows everything, right? God knew what they had done. He knew the peaceful world that he created and desired was not the same anymore. He knew the serpent had convinced them using their pride against them. And there was nothing, absolutely nothing that God did not know in this situation. So when God said, where are you? Or asked, where are you? He knew right where they were. He knew what they had already done. And again, this is not what God desired for us. He never wanted man to experience this absence of his peace. In fact, he wanted us to live in his abundance of peace. But alas, our pride destroyed that too. You see, pride destroyed God's abundance of peace. God provided man with everything that he would ever need. I mean, I'm think of this. God provided man with everything that he would ever need, and we were convinced that it was not enough. And so our pride led us to losing the abundance that he had created for us. No longer were we complete in him. No longer could we reflect his image. The the peace of God, the very peace of God that made us whole, now created a hole where his peace once resided. So through losing this abundance of peace, there were now consequences to our actions. Don't you love that, right? Mankind was punished was punished by God. And we see it in verses 16 through 19. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. So even though there would still be provision, God was still going to provide, he wasn't going to take his provision away, but there was no longer going to be the abundance that they once had. And there's even more as we skip down to verse 22, it says, then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life and eat it, then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And after sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Mankind, because of its pride, Was kicked out of the peaceful world that God had created for them and was banned from eating the tree that would cause them to experience the peace of God forever. And so their pride created an absence of peace and it destroyed God's abundance of peace. So now, what does man do? What does man do? How does he try to recover from all of this? Well, he tries to recover what he once had. He does. Man tries to do that because that's just what man does. He tries to make complete what had been broken, he tries to restore his image back to the one who created him. But somewhere along the way, man becomes distracted. So let's talk a moment for just about that. Let's talk about the distraction. Number three, the distraction. Man is constantly trying to reconcile what he did wrong. He's trying to bring shalom to an imperfect world. And the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. You see, life is complex It's full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And so when any of these is out of alignment or it's missing or out of whack, man's shalom breaks down. His life is no longer whole. So to bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So for example, Solomon brought shalom to the unfinished temple when he completed it. Or, or another example is, it, it, back then, if your animal accidentally damaged your neighbor's field, then you would shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what is missing, and you restore it to wholeness. Make sense? The same goes in our human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship was to bring Shalom. When rival kingdoms made shalom in the Bible, it doesn't mean that they just stopped fighting. It also meant that they started working together for each other's benefit. But here's what happened. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate. This was supposed to happen in the Old Testament. They were supposed to cultivate this state of shalom, but it rarely happened because man was distracted. They were distracted. So all this time, that man is trying to restore his relationship with God. He's trying to fill that absence of peace. He sets out to cultivate this state of shalom. But while doing that, his mind becomes consumed with other things. And so what other things you may ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what he was distracted by. Man pursued power and pleasure instead of peace. Man became consumed by power and pleasure. Man took what they wanted when they wanted. He did what what he did because it felt good. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. You see, the peaceful world that God had created had become wicked and God couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take it anymore. And as the narrative goes, God wipes out the world with a flood, except for Noah and his family and the living creatures that were on that ark. But even after God made the covenant that he would never flood the earth again and allowed man, in essence, to start over with Noah's family, it didn't take long until man became distracted by power and pleasure again. So we fast forward to chapter 11 of Genesis verse 4, and we see man distracted once again. It says this, Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. This is the the story of the Tower of Babel. And they're building this tower because they wanted to be famous. But more than that, they just didn't want to be scattered. They didn't want to leave where they were. They didn't want to leave their comfort zone. And so this is what happens when man tried to take matters into their own hands, God still exerted his control. Because what happened? The people stopped building and the people were still scattered. So no matter how much man tried to exert his own control, God's plan still trumped all. So no matter how much man pursued power and pleasure instead of peace, God still showed that he was God and we are not. But man continued to be distracted by power and pleasure. He continued to put his needs before what God desired. And we see it run through all of of Chronicles and Kings and all the stories of the Old Testament where man is still consumed by power and pleasure. And and, and we see it all the time. The people did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so we fast fast forward to an example of this was King Nebuchadnezzar. So let's go to Daniel chapter 4 verse 29 for just a moment. It says this, 12 months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And as he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Now, before these verses happened, King Nebi had a dream about a large tree. And he needed Daniel to explain the meaning of this dream. And so Daniel proceeded to to tell King Nebi to explain the dream that he had grown too big for his britches. His power was great, and King Nebi knew it was because, again, the tree had grown large and was touching all these different things. But what it was saying is that he was not doing what God intended for him to do. He had become too big for what he was doing and not giving God the credit. He wasn't taking care of his people God's way. And so Daniel proceeded that if he continued to rule his kingdom his way, then he would cut down to the stump and roots until he learned whose kingdom his kingdom belonged to. And so now, now, how many of you know that when you start to think that you're all that in a bag of chips, right? God has a way of humbling you. When you think you're great and there's nobody else like you or can do what you do, God has a way of bringing you back down. He has a way of reminding you that his plan, that it's his plan and it's not yours. So this leads us to the second reality of the distraction. And that is this, that not following God's plan resulted in unpeaceful outcomes. You see, whenever man pursues power and pleasure and follows his own plan, it doesn't end well. Look all throughout the Old Testament. Whenever man pursues power and pleasure, it doesn't end well. In fact, in Judges chapter 2, we see that it says, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord to remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. And so in summary, we see that that the people were doing evil. They were were worshiping idols. They were worshiping other gods. And what happened to them as we uh, found? Fast forward to verse 15. It says, every time Israel, I'm sorry, verse 14, it said, this made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. So he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. You see, every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated just as he had warned. And the people were in great distress. Now, can you imagine the Lord fighting against you? Can you imagine the Lord causing you to be defeated? You see, this is what happens when man gets distracted by the things that are not pleasing to him. It results in unpeaceful outcomes. Going back to our story of King Nebi and Daniel 4, King Nebi continued to follow his own plan, and all that Daniel explained to him came to pass. So he continued to do what he was going to do, and what Daniel said happened in the dream came to pass. In fact, in verse 31, it says, While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. That's pretty harsh. And guess what, folks? It happened. Talk about an unpeaceful outcome. But the good news, can I give you some good news again? Is that even in our unpeaceful outcomes, there is always hope. There's always hope. King Levy had finally learned his lesson. He had learned what God was trying to teach him. He understood that it was God's plan and not his that was succeeding. He understood that God could take the power that was given to him away at any time. And that's exactly what he did. But most important, King Nebi realized where credit need to go. He realized that he need to praise and give honor to God because God is the one that gave him that kingdom. And so because he did so, God brought shalom back to his kingdom. And so what had been missing had now been restored. And so even in the distraction, God always has a plan to bring shalom back to his people. It's in the distraction, though, that that man has to come to the realization that he doesn't have the power to restore God's peace. We don't have the power to restore God's peace because God had a plan to restore his peace at the very moment that woman took a bite in that fruit. God already had a plan. He already decided that mankind would be redeemed and his peace would be restored. And so that leads us to number four, the decision, the decision. So even though man continued to pursue his own power and pleasure, even though man continued to follow his own plan, God still had his own plan that would still be accomplished. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing was going to thwart what God had planned. So God had already made his decision from the very beginning, and now it was time to put that decision to action. It was time to bring shalom back to his people. And so God chose his son to restore his peace. You see, he chose his son Jesus to come to this earth and restore his kingdom once again, to restore the peaceful world that he had created. His reign would, would bring a shalom with no end, a time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and right all, right all the, uh, right all the wrongs and heal all that has been broken. And we see this foreshadowed in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. In the message I want to read it from, it says this, For a child has been born for us, the gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world, and his names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. Of yeah. peace, his ruling authority will grow, and there'll be no limits to the wholeness, to the peace that he brings. You see, Jesus' birth announced the arrival of a rene. Like I said, that rene, rene is simply the Greek word for peace. Jesus would be the prince of peace. And so in this context, peace is the presence of right relationship. Jesus came to this earth to offer his peace to others. He made peace between us and God by dying on a cross for mankind, which restored to wholeness, our broken relationship, our shalom with God, the father. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20 says this, I love this. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Get that for just a moment. God in all his fullness, everything that God is, was pleased to live in his son Jesus. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And so God made the decision to send his son. But the son also had to make a decision to come and restore his father's peace on earth. And as we know, he did that. And we are grateful that he did that because according to the verses we just read, Jesus himself is our arenae. He is our rene. He was the whole, complete human that I was created to be, but have failed to be. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Fast forward to 16, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Jesus broke down the wall of hostility. He taught the world that there was a better way, that he's the only way And through his finished work on the cross, he forgave our sins. He made a way for all of us to come back to the Father. And so our hostility toward each other was put to death, and peace had been restored. But folks, it's not enough for us to just recognize his peace. We, we have a decision as well. So you see, his decision created our decision. And that is this, that we choose to repent and receive his peace. You see, when Jesus came to earth and he began his ministry, he set the precedent for peace. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, he simply said, The kingdom of God is here now, so repent and believe. You see, Jesus said that all we needed to do to receive God's peace was to simply repent and believe. And he left us with this decision to make on our own. He was not going to make it for us. And so here here is what I know this morning, that if we choose to repent, if we choose to turn from our old ways, we put down the distractions, we get rid of those things, and we recognize his peace, and we believe in Jesus, then we have his peace. We have his peace. Romans 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You see, folks, it's his grace and our faith in him that enables us to receive his peace, to be brought into that place of undeserved privilege. But again, it's not enough to just receive his peace. We must also choose to become people of peace. We must distribute his peace with those around us. So our decision to receive his peace brings about number five, The distribution, the distribution. True peace requires taking what is broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it is in our lives, our relationships, or our world. And Jesus did that. Jesus did that. He restored our broken relationship with the Father to wholeness. And he is the Prince of Peace that now fills this empty void in our heart. He is the one that restored our image and made us complete. And God the Father wants again. But Jesus also gave us something else. He gave us something else. So when we receive his peace, when we receive his wholeness, then we also receive his gift called peace. So what does that mean? It means this, that Jesus sent us the gift of his spirit. John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27 in the message says this. I'm telling you these things while I'm still living with you. The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you. He will remind you of all the things I have told you. I am leaving you well and whole. That is my parting gift to you. Peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereft. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. The moment that Jesus ascended into heaven, he already had a plan to keep his peace on earth. He sent us his parting gift called peace. And note the capital P in that passage. Push that passage back up there for me real quick. In John Note that capital P, peace, this meant that it was a person. It was someone far greater than the shalom that they were accustomed to in the past. Jesus, our reine, gave us the gift of capital P, peace, the Holy Spirit. Man would never be alone or separated from God if they chose to believe and receive his peace, his wholeness. But then they would not have to be afraid because his capital P, peace, the Holy Spirit would be with them always. And so it's the same for you, folks. It's the same for you. When you receive his lowercase p, peace, then he gives you his capital P, peace the Holy Spirit. That's good news this morning, folks. When we receive his peace, he gives us the gift of peace. And so if we have this gift of his spirit, then we have been empowered to distribute that peace to those who need it, which means we ought to share his peace with others. We ought to share his peace with others. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, it's one of his Beatitudes that God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And so if we have been made whole, then there are others who believe out there that they are broken. But the good news is that God made them whole too. When he died on the cross, he died for all of us. And so his peace is available to them if they choose To believe. So, what does that mean? It means it's our job, it's our task to share His peace with others. It's our job to bear His fruit of peace in a world that needs to know the Prince of Peace. Galatians 5, we've heard it all the time the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives love, joy, peace, and the list goes on. But you see, if we don't allow the Spirit to produce love and joy and peace within us, then there will be little hope of bearing these other fruits that are listed that Paul lists here. And we're going to talk about love and joy over the final two Sundays of the series. But we can see very clear here, it begins with love and joy and peace. And so we ought to share his peace with others. We ought to be peacemakers. James 3.18 says this, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So not only will we plant seeds of peace, but did you see it? Did you see it this morning? We will also reap a harvest of righteousness from those seeds of peace that we plant, so this means that we who work for peace, like Jesus said in Matthew 5, we're going to reap amazing, amazing results that we can't even think or fathom. Amen. Lives that have been changed for the kingdom of God. So I ask you this morning, how can you plant seeds of peace during this Advent season? How can you distribute shalom to those who feel they are broken and need to know that God has restored them through his son, Jesus? How can you help people lead them to Jesus, our reine, in the times over the holidays where you have influence with your family and friends who don't have a relationship with him? You see, folks, if we are peacemakers and we plant the seeds, then God will take care of the rest. We will reap the harvest of righteousness. So our takeaway for today is this. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, we are his peace bearers. We are his peace bearers. Because we have his peace, because we have his wholeness, and his gift of capital P, peace, the Holy Spirit, then we should bear his fruit of peace with others and watch God reap the harvest. We are his peace bearers. Amen? Amen. Amen.